And it seems there's so much we have lost As we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked And one by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them off asleep But we know that you are God, yours is the victory more to come that we may not yet see so with the faith you've given us we step into the valley unafraid yeah. we call out to dry bones come alive come alive we call out to dead hearts come alive Let us see an army rise We call out to dry bones come alive God of endless mercy God of unrelenting love Rescue every daughter Bring us back the wayward sons And by your spirit show the world that you alone can save you alone can save we call out to dry bones from alive come alive we call out to dead hearts from alive come alive upon the ashes let us see an army Once again, welcome to Worship at Fusion. To those of you here in this space, as well as those of you worshiping with us online, we're so glad that you're here this morning. At this time, we invite you to stand and, oops, actually, at this time, we invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. And now feel free to stand and worship with us.
be seated. That's what happens when the pastor walks up during the outro, outro and then he just stands there like, hi, I'm not going to dance for you. Hey, uh, my name is Pastor JB. If we haven't met yet, uh, I would love that opportunity to just say that every week, because I truly mean it, would love to uh, have the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation, connect. A couple of announcements, first and foremost, kids, I'm not going to forget this time, follow April uh, through preschool. We got our children's worship, and so head on out that way. Everyone say bye, kids. Bye, kids. Yeah, all right. Uh, just a, a couple of other th- announcements. Um, we like to say this. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving uh, to support the ministries of this church. That's so important. We continue to have ways to give online, texting, and some boxes in the back. So continue to support the ministries. And beyond that, just live generously as God has called us to live generously in this world. Uh, also, um, for those who met last week, we uh, started kind of a small group kind of discussion. We're going to be working through Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. Uh, we did. We were able to order a few more books. Those are in the back. So if you'd like a copy, feel free to take one of those. For some reason, Amazon only lets us order four at a time. So we got the first order of four, and another order is coming. I don't know why. Does anyone anyone know the answer? Anyway, I won't ask you questions. And then the final announcement is uh, we're praying, and uh, with Watershed, as uh, it's a big Sunday over at Watershed, it's Zach's last Sunday, um, and then it's also Aaron Vanderveen's installation. And for the first time, I got to sneak over there and just kind of worship and, and be there for Aaron's installation and kind of had to miss the rest of it. But um, So we pray for them. Um, but then also after the service, there's going to be a, a reception, kind of open house celebration. And rolled into that is the celebration for my installation, which was in April. And so that's going to be at the pavilion uh, after service, uh, immediately after the service. Pigs in a blanket. Any fans? I've, it's been a while, but I'm looking forward to that. And so uh, lots going on. Also, check your announcements this summer. Um, but let's go to our God in prayer. Will you join me? The word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Lord God, we just pause and we come to you, our great God and King. And we thank you for and praise you for your great vision the redemption of all things. Lord, your, your plan of salvation that has been unfolding through the centuries and millennia. Lord, we thank you that this great move of your spirit and your hand and sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world, Lord, to bring salvation to all people. And Lord, as we study your word and remember the magnitude of this moment, And of this move of God, Lord, we are overwhelmed with gratitude and praise. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life, that you you suffered and you died on a cross, Lord, so that we might have this promise of salvation, life, both now and forever. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for what that means for us as your people. And Lord, we pray as your people, as your ambassadors in this world, we pray and we continue to pray and ask that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. That Lord, we would experience your grace and your presence and your power in tangible ways in our lives and in this world that you've called us to serve and love. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to break into the lives of, of individuals, Lord, who in this moment their hearts are heavy. Maybe, Lord, with the weight, the heavy weight of grief or uncertainty for the future, for themselves or for a loved one because of 
illness, health, circumstances. Lord, we we lift these that we love to you in prayer, knowing that, Lord God, you wrap them up in your arms and hold them close. We pray, God, for your kingdom to come here at Hardawike and at Fusion and across campus, watershed and celebration. And Lord, we pray, God, that we would be attuned to your spirit. Lord, as we continue to dive into the spiritual disciplines, Lord, the, the goal of that is not so that we can learn to pray for an extended period of time, but Lord, the goal of that is to be with you and to commune with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, what a gift that we have as your people. Lord, may we listen and may we be formed so that, Lord God, you will show us where you are to take us moving forward. Lord, we are grateful uh, for an installation of Aaron. Lord, we're, we're, we're sad because we're sending off Zach and Angela, but Lord, grateful that they are following your call and your leading out to Washington State. But Lord, as, as we continue to form this and, and learn one another as a leadership team, Lord, that you would give us the direction. And Lord, that we would follow you boldly to that good future that you have for us. But Lord, we not only pray for your kingdom to come here in our church that we love and that we cherish, but Lord, into this community, we pray that your kingdom would come into our nation and into the world. So that, Lord, we would be as your church those who represent you in such a way that your kingdom would come in small ways through our acts of love and faithfulness and by the power of your spirit that moves well beyond our own agency so that, Lord, your name would be glorified and that many would come to know and confess and believe Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, may we live into that call, Lord Jesus, that you gave to us 2,000 years ago. And now, Lord, in in these next moments, Lord, as we study your word, Lord, may your spirit be forming and shaping and challenging us so that we can live sold out for our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. And God's people say, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now once again, I guess I don't have to introduce myself a second time, but I'm Pastor JB and that's in my notes, uh, but would love the opportunity to meet. And uh, this summer we are working through our, the New Testament book of Acts in a series that we've been calling Devoted. And we haven't talked about the name of that ser- the series, but Devoted certainly refers to uh, the church's devotion to God's and God's spirit and God's movement uh, through them. But, but even broad, more broadly, uh, the series talks about God's faithfulness and devotion to his people throughout the centuries. And uh, the, the acts of the apostles are, are part of that account and testimony. This morning we'll be camped out in Acts chapter 10, uh, which is a pretty important moment in the church's history, uh, particularly for, for most of us who I assume are not of Jewish descent. We'll talk about that. But this is a significant move that's happening here in Acts chapter 10. Acts 9, if you remember last week, we, we talked about the, the conversion, if you will, of Saul uh, on the road to Damascus, what we didn't get to were a couple of miraculous healings. The, the narrative shifts from Paul to back to Peter, and there's a couple of healing stories as Peter travels from Jerusalem uh, to Lydda and Joppa. I got the map. I should be pointing this way, right? Anyway, oh, it's right behind me. No, I'm pointing this way. I'm pointing the right direction. So he's right moving from Lydda to Joppa, and chapter 10 begins in well, actually, it begins in Cornelia, or Caesarea, excuse me, I get all these names mixed up, Caesarea, which is north on the Mediterranean coast of Joppa. Chapter 10 begins with a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion, an, an officer in the Roman army, and he receives this vision from God to send for a man by the name of Peter, who's staying with a man by the name of Simon in Joppa. Then the the narrative switches to Peter, who's up on the rooftop of Simon's house, praying at the hour of prayer, and he receives a vision. And it's a vision that's, for us, it's kind of baffling. This this sheet descends from heaven, and there's all kinds of animals on this sheet of animals from all across the globe. and, And God says to Peter, kill 
and eat. Again, we're going to talk about the significance of that. We're like, what is that all about? And then the, the, the Lord says to Peter, there's some men at your house sent from Cornelius. Go with them. He invites those servants of Cornelius to come spend the night. And then we pick up from our text here this morning, verse 23. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we honor God as he speaks to us this morning. Acts chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 23 through 48. If you have your Bibles, keep those Bibles open. We're going to be camped out in this text this morning. The word of the Lord. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We pray with me, Father, we thank you for this word. And we thank you for how your spirit was at work 2,000 years ago and how your spirit continues to be at work even today. Lord, as we study, as we listen, Lord, may you speak so that in hearing from you, Lord, we might be changed and moved and challenged and comforted. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, uh, the insurance company Progressive uh, came out with some really funny commercials. 
Do you, do you recognize Dr. Rick? Uh, maybe that, not that exact scene, but Progressive Insurance came out with these really funny commercials about when you buy your first home, you start to become like your parents, like your dad. And so they, there's this big spoof, and Dr. Rick is this parental life coach, and he's trying to counsel people out of becoming like their parents. And I mean, it's a caricature, but it's hilarious. It's really funny. And one of the things about humor is, right, all humor is kind of, there's some seed of truth in all humor. And uh, I, I think I've shared this multiple times, but Yvonne and I uh, just bought our first house. And, uh, and so I'm recognizing the truth behind the, the commercials that I'm starting to become a little bit like my dad. Uh, who's here this morning? Uh, I won't point him out, but it's a compliment to become like my dad. Let me just say that. Um, not so much my dad specifically, uh, but some of those dad stereotypes are just... Anyway, and this really kind of came to a head at, uh, recently with the new house with my lawn. Any lawn people? Like, you know, okay, no one's willing to admit it because everyone's going to drive by like, well, let's see what their lawn looks like, right? No, so I'm like, all of a sudden, like, I, I care more about my lawn and my grass than I ever did before when I was living in a parsonage that wasn't my own, right? And all of a sudden, I'm walking around with my cup of coffee, just looking at the grass, you know, turn on the sprinklers and making sure they're working. I, I bought my first mower at 38 years old, so I now have a lawnmower and a weed whacker and a blower, and so I'm, you know, I'm doing the thing, and I'm weeding all the flower beds. Anyway, I'm taking, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a thing, right? Anyone resonate? Am I the only one? Okay, we got a couple who are willing to admit. So then, uh, and by the way, I have no idea what I'm doing. Just full disclosure, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so then we're at Costco, and it's like, let's get some, we need some fertilizer for the grass. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then I pick up this Scott's, like, triple action, and so it's like fertilizer, but it also has, like, weed killer and weed prevention. And I'm like, yep, let's go with that. So I'm walking around with my little hand spreader, and I, and I, and I fertilize the whole lawn, and it's blowing everywhere, and I, I don't know, I'm not probably doing it right. If anyone has advice or just wants to care, take care of it for me, uh, let me know after the service. Uh, I'll take you up on that offer. But anyway, so I, I fertilized the lawn, and I just kind of forgot about it. Later that afternoon, uh, there was some excitement in the neighborhood in the front yard, and so the kids and I were on the driveway, and then all of a sudden some of the neighbors come over because there's some excitement. Someone had a drone anyway, so that's a lot of excitement. And the kids, all of a sudden I realized, are like rolling around in the grass. And I'm thinking, oh no there's weed killer in there. So I get kind of intense and I'm like, hey, you kids, get off my lawn. Get off the grass right now. You know? And all of a sudden I have this horrific realization that I'm the guy in the neighborhood who's yelling at the kids to get off my lawn. And I'm thinking, you know, what's next? You know, am I going to put the, the, the posts in my grass so no one parks on my grass? Are there going to be no trespassing signs? I'm thinking, like, Halloween's going to come, and I'm going to be the one who dims the lights and pretends he's not home so that, you know, like robbing children of joy. I, I'm like, what's happening? Okay, I'm going a little overboard. I didn't think all those things. But I, but I kind of bring up this kind of funny story because um, it raises this question. You know, we just moved into a neighborhood, and it raises this question, how do I view my neighbors? It's kind of a serious question. What is my, what is my posture toward my neighbors? And how do I view my home? Right, do I view my home and my yard as kind of my castle that I need to guard and protect? Kind of this closed off, stay off my lawn posture or do I see my home and my yard as kind of this opportunity to connect with people that I otherwise would never cross paths with, right? It's a difference between a closed-off posture and an open posture. And I guess that's the question that I want us to just kind of have rattling around our minds as we try to make uh, a testimony account from 2,000 years ago become relevant for us today. Hold that question in your mind, but, but we want to dive into the text in order to get into what's happening, because there's a lot happening uh, here in chapter 10. Um, we need to understand the context. Specifically, what we need to begin with is this relationship in the first century between Jews and Gentiles. Okay, to put it mildly, uh, the Jews did not have an open posture to Gentiles. 
It's a closed posture. Uh, Peter is standing in Cornelius' home, and if you have your Bibles open, uh, open up right to verse 28. We're going to just be in these few verses uh, for just a little bit here. Peter's standing in Cornelius' home, and he acknowledges what they all know. You are well aware that it is against our law, it is against the Torah, for a Jew to associate, which uh, the word in Greek literally means like to, to come together like, like glue is kind of insinuated there, or to visit a Gentile. In the first century and, and before that and beyond, there is this closed posture between Jew and Gentile because according to the law and according to Jews, Gentiles were unclean, right? They were defiled because of their pagan worship and they were people that you should avoid because getting close to them would make you unclean. Now again, that is like a completely foreign and, and kind, of, kind of an offensive kind of thing to think about uh, but you have to understand, the Jewish people were God's chosen people, right? God set them apart, demanded their faithfulness, and the scriptures are filled with various laws given to keep God's people distinct and set apart from the world around them. And this was important because there is this allure from the world. We don't understand it because we're not living in the ancient world, but think about this, from the Old Testament, like Baal, who's the god of, of rain, Right? And so you're in the middle of a drought and, and you can go to Baal and he'll give rain. Like there is an allure. There's like a draw. It's idolatry. It's against God's word, but there's an allure. Or in the first century, think about uh, the Hellenized Roman world, this kind of hedonism, right, that plays on desires, right? There is an allure and a draw to this culture even as a faithful Jew living in a foreign land. And so having clear boundaries helped maintain their Jewish identity. Even things like, like food laws, right? Those are ones that we don't understand very well because, you know, we have this freedom in Christ. But even abstaining from certain meats, let's say you're, you're taken away from the land and these identifiers like temple worship, you're, you're in Babylon. You remember the Daniel series, right? Abstaining from food was something that you could do no matter if you are in captivity in Babylon. These are ways to maintain distinction as God's people. And so a Jew and a Gentile might interact out of necessity in the, in the ancient world, but one thing you would not see is them sharing a meal together because that had all kinds of deeper meanings and you would not see a Jew spending the night in the home of a Gentile. This would be unthinkable. And yet that's what we see in this passage. To make matters worse, Cornelius is a centurion. He is an officer in the Roman army. Centurion meaning he, he oversaw hundreds of troops, so he is a high-ranking official in the Roman army. Rome, who is in Israel, against Israel's wishes, occupying Israel. This man is not only a Gentile, but he is an enemy. Now, Luke also tells us early on in Acts 10 that he is a, a God-fearing Gentile, and he's a man who prays regularly, which is why he, when he's praying, he has this vision, but he is an enemy. He is a Gentile. Now, let's jump ahead just to today, right? Most of us have a hard time kind of wrapping our minds around the purity laws and some of the Jewish customs, right? But I think what we can grasp pretty easily is this idea of enemy, there are people who we would not have a meal with because they are our enemy. There are people that maybe you wouldn't want your neighbors seeing that you having a meal with because what would that maybe say about you, right? I think we can kind of get this kind of connection. In fact, our, our political divide in our country right now almost has gotten to that point. Now, feel that kind of tension but then multiply it by 100, and that's what you experience between Jew and Gentile in the first century. But what happens in this passage? What happens? Something changes in Peter, right? He, he has this closed-off posture, but then something miraculous happens, and it's a vision. And it truly is a move and an act of God, this miraculous vision around food that changes his perception of Gentiles. Right, changes his mind's perception of Gentiles. Picking up verse 28, if you still have that open. 
Peter summarizes in our text, verse 28. He continues, after saying, it's against our law to associate with or visit with a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. It's one sentence, but that is a dramatic shift in Peter's thinking. This changed perception that no one is impure or unclean or intolerable. Notice Peter reveals how he interprets the vision that he saw. The vision he saw was animals coming down on a sheet and God saying, kill and eat, which is really God um, saying, all animals, right, are now, you can eat any animal, right? All animals are clean. I mean, that's kind of the basic, simple definition, but Peter shows us that he takes it to a next level, that this vision is not primarily about food, but for Peter, this is about people. This is about people that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. People are not impure or unclean. And labeling people in this kind of demeaning way Peter's realizing is, is not okay. To label someone in this way is dehumanizing. And if you think about it, it, it robs them of the image of God that they bear. All of us are created in the image of God. And so these kinds of labels are unhelpful, hurtful, and, and demeaning. Now again, let's step, out, let's step away from the text for just a moment. Because I don't think any of us are, are walking around calling people Gentiles or impure or unclean. Like, those aren't labels that we use today. But can we just pause and admit that there are labels that we use today? There are labels that we, we smack on people. And we, we, we try to figure out, well, where do they stand with this issue? And we throw a label on them. And really, that's kind of, it's really lazy, Right, because if I can label someone, then I know how to respond to them. But the truth is, all of us are more beautiful and nuanced than any label can contain. And so the question for us is, what labels are we tempted to use? And I think we need to repent of that. Because that labeling is, is dehumanizing, and it's demeaning, and it's not helpful for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And friends, this is a, a, a paradigm shift for, for Peter, right? To, to make this move, I think we, we, we get lost that this is a, a major paradigm shift, this change of perception. In fact, it's, it's such a major shift for Peter. So if this is a hard shift for us, we should give ourselves a break. But for Peter, this is such a major paradigm shift. Notice the vision, if you were to go back in chapter 10, it takes three times he sees this vision. Now three has some significance with Peter, right? But three times. Not only that, this issue is the primary issue that's wrestled with through the book of Acts and through the New Testament letters of Paul. This is such a major paradigm shift that God's covenant is opened up to Gentiles. It continues to be wrestled with. Peter actually um, falls back and begins again disassociating himself with, with, from Gentiles, Later on, even after this vision, and in Galatians 2, Paul has to come in and correct Peter that he's, he's drifted off from this, this vision, right? So this is a major, major paradigm shift. And I say all that, but, but there's something significant because what Peter receives in a vision, and when I was reading the text and just spending time, this is what hit me, that, that Peter doesn't have the full scope of the vision at this moment. The Spirit's full revelation, as dramatic as of a shift as this is, to simply change his perception of Gentiles, to simply acknowledge that Gentiles are no longer impure or untouchable or unclean, as dramatic as of a shift that is, it's not the full revelation. It simply opened Peter's heart to come to Cornelius' home to accept an invitation. And then Peter comes. Verse 29, right? He says, you know it's against our law to associate or visit with a Gentile, but God has shown me that no one is impure or unclean. So what's his conclusion from that vision? 29, verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. That's how far the the vision on its own got Peter. I came to your house, here I am, and then he asks, may I ask why you sent for me? 
Peter's vision was not fully revealed. Peter's vision simply yet powerfully and profoundly changed his perception of Gentiles so that he would accept this invitation of Cornelius to come to this Gentile's home in Caesarea. Peter then had to come close and enter relationship with Cornelius. And it was in this relationship and this encounter between a Jew and a Gentile that the fullness of Peter's vision comes to him. It was in the space of relationship. Because it's in relationship where there is space for growth and healing and yes, even reconciliation. There's something beautiful that happens here as Peter moves in closer to Cornelius, taking a step that is outside the law, stepping close to Cornelius who is an enemy Gentile. The spirit finishes Peter's transformation and in turn, the church's revelation and trajectory is totally changed because of this moment because God spoke to Peter and Cornelius and then they came together and the Spirit did something incredible. Now, before we talk about what that change is, again, let's just step out of that, of that context and step back into our own and talk about this truth of relationship and the power of being in relationship and having conversations even with those who we disagree with even with those who maybe we've unfairly labeled an enemy. God works when we move toward one another. God works in powerful ways when, when enemies move toward reconciliation. You know, I think too often we, we fall into this camp of, you know, keeping ourselves separate. You know, we... We want to keep ourselves separate from those people and those beliefs and, and the idea. And the motivation's not bad, right? But we want to keep ourselves pure and protected and we want to, right? But, but have we thought about the cost of that posture? Again, there's a place. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, but have we thought about the cost of that kind of hands distance posture when we don't take those steps toward people who we disagree with? relationship. Jumping back to our text, Peter has this encounter and it's in this encounter that Peter's not only perception has been changed but now his posture has completely changed. The vision, the change of perception got him into Cornelius' house but it's in this conversation, the spirit is moving in this conversation with Cornelius and him seeing Cornelius that his posture toward Gentiles and enemies completely changes. Cornelius li or Peter listens to Cornelius' account of his own vision. He also recognizes this faith that this Gentile has in the one true God, and Peter has a divine realization. That's the word he uses in the English, right? But a, a revelation, verse 35, at the beginning of his sermon where he shares the gospel, he says, I now realize Right, this is a new re realization, a revelation. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter's vision compels him to come, but this exchange compels him to realize not only are Gentiles not impure or unclean, but this gospel of Jesus Christ that I have given my life for is for them as well. And he goes and shares the gospel. And I, I couldn't skip over that. I mean, it was just a beautiful retelling of the good news of Jesus Christ there in those verses. And he shares the gospel with Cornelius' family and friends who have been gathered, these Gentiles. The gospel, this change of posture that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus is for Gentiles. It is for all people. He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with these Gentile, this Gentile household and what happens? The gates of heaven burst open and the spirit of God descends from heaven and fills these Gentile new believers just as the spirit did in Jerusalem in Acts chapter two, right? 
This is a Pentecost like 2.0 moment. The Spirit descending and filling these Gentile believers in a powerful, profound, undeniable way because Peter's posture has been turned open toward Gentiles. On the screen, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, right, that the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed because Jesus Christ is our peace. I mean, that kind of gets at the dram- how dramatic this, the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. Wow. This is a radical shift. And, 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 and friends, this is why we, this moment is why we are all part of Christ's church today. Because I'm willing to guess most of us are not Jewish, which means we're Gentiles, Right? Because of this, radic- this move of God revealed to Peter three times that moved him to come close where the spirit moved again in this interaction with Cornelius, the dividing wall of hostility has come crashing down and we are part of Christ's church. Thanks be to God, amen? You know, a few years ago, I had the uh, opportunity to go to Israel, Palestine and tour the Holy Land, and, uh, which is an amazing amazing experience and I'd love to share more about that. If you have an opportunity to do that, take that opportunity. But one of the, one of the stops on that tour was Caesarea Maritima, which is kind of a fun city to say. Uh, it's the ancient city of Caesarea where Peter came to Cornelius's house and while we were there, we, you know, we got this teaching on, on what was happening and, and as, I'm, as I'm walking there and and, and here's this huge, you know, Roman amphitheater on the coast. It's kind of hard to see, but King Herod had a palace on the coast. Like, King Herod knew waterfront property. Like, that's the place to be, right? Holland, Michigan, woo, woo, yeah. Um, right? So he had this amazing palace in this, they created this huge harbor for commerce. Right? So in this city that is a, a Roman city, I mean, the evidence of Rome is throughout Caesarea, Little side note, they found a really significant artif- uh, archaeological find in, in Caesarea, uh, a capstone with the name of Pilate, which confirms that Pilate was an actual person, right? So that was like really significant. So that was there too, side note, really cool stuff. But this Roman, like just the Roman influence in Caesarea, but it's also this port city. And so I was just thinking like God gave Peter this revelation in Caesarea, this, this, this port to the world where, where the, the gospel, good news of Jesus Christ would go to the ends of the earth. And, and I, was, I was walking along the beach on the Mediterranean coast. I, I just was thinking to myself, like, this moment, this exchange between Peter and Cornelius is the reason why I can call myself a Christian. as a Gentile. I was just realizing the significance of it. Like this, this space, th- what God did in this very city is why my kids are Christians and children of God. And so I, I bent down on the coat. I don't know if I was supposed to do this, um, so maybe, I don't know, but I picked up a shell off the beach. I think I'm okay. And I, and I took that shell and I took it home. And on the back of that shell, I wrote Acts 10 to remember what happened in that place. That God revealed the fullness of his grace. God revealed his plan for salvation. His covenant extended not just to the Jews, but to all who would receive and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Even a Roman, even a Roman centurion, even a broken and sinful person like myself who's made plenty of mistakes. And guess what? Even that person that I'm tempted to call my enemy. All peoples, no matter our ethnicity, our race, our nationality, religious background, political affiliation, sexual ethic or identity, we are all called to love all people. We're called to love in the hopes that they will experience life 
in Jesus and the transforming work of God. Friends, the church is open. The church is open. By the way, it's never been closed. It's never been closed. Can I get an amen? Because the church is way more than just what's happening right now. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 47, Peter says this, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. The church is open, and now we are called to learn from Peter. You know, I think it's one thing, we, we, we kind of have these categories of people and we talk about enemies and, and this, and it's kind of abstract, right? It's so far removed, and what does that even mean, like pragmatically? But what I want to do instead of talking about those categories is come back to that question that hopefully is still bouncing around in your head. What about our neighbors? What about our neighbors? How do I view my neighbor? What is my posture toward my neighbor? Is it open? Is it closed? Do I view my house as my castle and my kingdom that needs to be protected from these people that I don't know and that I cannot trust? And, and honestly, transparency, buying a house, I, I have that impulse. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to, to, to see that impulse and to live into that. Like, this is, yeah, my house and I got it. Yeah, you know. But I, but I recognize that that kind of posture can so easily devolve into beginning to label my neighbors, maybe certain neighbors as maybe not unclean or Gentile, but whatever those other labels are. And soon, if, if, I, if I follow that trajectory, then pretty soon I am the get-off-my-lawn guy, right? And I don't want to be that. Friends, I think the Spirit's first work in our hearts, like Peter, is to change our perceptions, to change our hearts, to, to stop the impulse to label folks and to recognize that what was true for Peter is true today, that no one, no one should be labeled impure or unclean. Let's get away from the labels. And then as our perception changes, to follow Peter's lead and to begin to take steps where we move closer to our neighbor's. Now, full disclosure, my son, he's like three. He's got no problem with this, okay? Like, he sees the neighbors. He's like, hi, I'm Bryson. Can I come over? And it's like, okay, pump the brakes. You don't want to like, okay, don't go too much. Like, don't overwhelm people, right? But for us, like, our push for most of us is to move closer to our neighbors so that in, as we move closer and as we engage in relationship and begin to know one another, guess what gets built? Trust. And guess what else gets built? This posture of openness, and it's in those relationships where we have opportunity to, to live the gospel, to share the gospel, and to see people experience the transformation that we long for, right? So the question is, is this easy? No. Is it natural? Probably not, right? Is it, does it take intentionality? Does it take effort? Does it take us taking intentional time and sacrifice? Yes. Is it gonna get messy? Is it gonna get in, uncomfortable? Are you, is it risky? Yeah, probably. But guess what? The church of Jesus Christ is not called to be a country club for insiders because guess what? If that's what the church of Jesus Christ was, then we wouldn't be part of it because Acts 10 would not have happened and this openness of the church to the Gentiles would not, if it was a country club for insiders, we wouldn't be part of it. Church of Jesus Christ is open for all to experience the life-transforming work of Jesus Christ. And guess what? This isn't the church. You are the church. And so let's go out into the world, move close, and allow the Spirit to work in ways that we can only imagine. Will you join me as we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Lord, what what your people experienced 2,000 years ago continues to be many of the things that, that we experience and that we're tempted with. And, and Lord, what it reveals to us is that, that we, we are broken, right? And we need your redeeming work. 
Lord, the enemy wants us to, to be overcome with shame and guilt, and, and Lord, that's, that's not how you work. Lord, you, you point us, you direct us to freedom in Jesus Christ because in following you, Lord, even following you in ways where we deny ourselves, Lord, we believe and we trust that it leads to life. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd meet each of us where we're at. Maybe reveal to us this week how we can maybe begin to change that posture in our, in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods where we're just a little more open. Maybe, Lord, you're, you're calling us to a specific step to take. And maybe right now, Lord, you're, you're bringing to mind one of our neighbors. And Lord, you're calling us to, to take a step toward that neighbor. Maybe it's to ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's to reconcile something that was broken. Maybe it's just someone we haven't met yet and it's simply stepping across a boundary line and getting to know someone. Lord, whatever that is, we, we want to follow you wherever you're leading us because, Lord, you are a God who is good, who is faithful, and, Lord, who's continuing to be at work even today just as you were 2,000 years ago. So, Lord, give us the strength, give us the courage, and give us the assurance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
And now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. And once again, you're invited to connect at the pavilion as well. Come alive.